This episode of the Merchant Sales Podcast was brought to you by Valor Paytech, the technology company that is revolutionizing cash discounting and surcharging with innovative features like dual mid support, waive the fee options, and even adding non-cash adjustment charges to tips. Now, all of this is made possible by a variety of technology devices and solutions such as gateways, tabletop point of sale devices, and features like SMS text messaging and e-invoicing, all with cash discounting in mind. Valor Paytech, bold ideas, smart execution. Make sure you head over to ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo today and watch videos and learn more about this amazing technology solution. Boy, Patty, I'm really excited about today's episode. I thought Kevin Smith's uh, you know, interview talking about things that ISOs and even really individual agents can do to really control their costs, make more money, and have a better experience was was really interesting. I was I was I was pretty shocked at the savings he was he was quoting us in. You know, it it just amazes me when I start thinking about how much uh, ISOs and agents are paying for processors. Yeah, I mean, uh, statement fees, PCI fees, settlement, all this stuff that it turns out actually you can do in-house. So right. we, we have that. And then um, in the uh, questions from the field, I talk about how to make the transition from transactional sales representative to value and how to sell value, how to sell point of sale solutions, things like that, and kind of a, a little bit of a different take on that. Um, and then and tell then, us about the insider's yeah. report. Yeah, the insider's report talking some more about contactless. It's a, it's a, it's a new app that Visa's working on uh, that you know, could, could make, some, make for some interesting um, conversions. Probably not immediately, but in a couple of years, it's yeah. going to continue that trend of contactless adoption. Definitely something to follow. So with all that yeah. said, let's dive into our interview, Patty. Okay. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. We're here today with Kevin Smith. Kevin is the president at Secure Bank Card and also has a software company for ISOs that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. How are you doing today, Kevin? Hey, doing very well, James. Thank you very much for having me on today. Yeah, for sure. I'm Patty and I are really excited about this topic because um, this is something I know I've gotten a lot of questions about in the consulting practice, which is when is the right time or the right circumstance for an ISO, especially a small to medium ISO, to start you know, pulling some things in, doing some things themselves instead of outsourcing everything. So today, Kevin and I and Patty are going to dive into that topic. So before we do that, though, Kevin, I'd love to hear your story. I know you've been in the industry for a while, you and your wife, Elena. Um, tell us about your story, how you got into the industry, and how you ended up founding the company you have now. No problem. So James, just like everyone else in this industry, I fumbled, bumbled, stumbled my way into this industry, actually sure. answering an ad in the paper in 1990 to uh, actually do data entry for a small ISO out in California. Wow. Uh, I was trying to go to school at that time to acquire my degree in computer science. Figured like everyone else, I was going to have a real career being a computer programmer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to my dismay, that didn't happen. Uh, by the time I ended up getting my degree, uh, four years later, I had... So I uh, come to love the business and continue to grow from there. Yeah. Uh, moving on from there, went, went and worked for a large organization, Concord EFS at the time, which was a right. large acquirer out of Memphis, Tennessee. I ran their wholesale ISO program for several years. Uh, 
And then once they were acquired by First Data, we moved into a, I moved into a different format, which was going back to the smaller environment and started up a small ISO with a group of friends called Pipeline Data. We okay. did that for several years, uh, sold that to a private equity firm, Comvest. Okay. And then did that, worked with Combest for a couple of years, uh, maintaining my position as a chief operating officer there, and then moved on and decided it was time to go out after I had spent, oh, roughly 15, 16 years in the business building organizations and growing organizations for other people. But it was time for us to go out and try it on our own. Yeah. That's how we formed Secure Bank Card. Wow, that's great. So, so today- that's a cool story, yeah. Yeah. And so I want to, I really want to kind of frame this conversation a little bit because, you know, we have a lot of individual agent listeners and we have a lot of ISO listeners. So, you know, what we're talking about today and correct me if I'm wrong here, Kevin, but you know, a lot of ISOs, the majority of the smaller ISOs, certainly individual agents, you know, they're having the processing company or the acquiring bank send statements, handle underwriting, deal with risk, um, all of these different things. Uh, you know, there's, there's a myriad of services we'll talk about today. And so what we're talking about though, is for some of these more established small to medium ISOs that are starting to grow, at some point, it's going to make sense for them to may maybe take some of that back and insource some of that. So what I'd love for you to do, Kevin, to kind of frame the conversation is talk to us about when you started realizing as you were building your own ISO that you know it was time to start taking some of the stuff in-house. Did you do that from the beginning or did you kind of start to grow and then realize it was time to take it over and kind of give us a little context of how that happened? Uh, just like everyone else, we started out in our organization with most of our products and services were outsourced products and services. So there's generally three or four large organizations that you can buy services from. We all know who they are. Right. The problem with that is everyone is out there reselling those same products. They may have their label on it. Right. They may have their logo on it. But you're still going out and selling against someone else that's selling the same product, the same service, the same statement, the same billing schema, the right. same billing, uh, the same uh, quarterly billing that they do or whatever it is that right. that organization PCI compliance does. or whatever. Right. They're reselling of three or four different products. So what we ran into was the, we started trying to separate ourselves out. And in separating ourselves out, the first thing you do is obviously go to those partners and you say, hey, I would like to do something a little bit different. The response we got was, that's unfortunate because you need to get back in the box. This is the way we do things. This is how it works. Right. Get back in the box. That right. seems to be an important, or it seems to be an interesting idea, but that's not what we do today. Let me show you how we do it today. Right. So in doing that, it did not give us the capability in, to go out and separate ourselves from someone else or from everyone else that was out there selling. So that started our progression. Sure. And we started bringing things in a little bit at a time. We started looking at what would it take for us to do our own statements? If we're doing our own statements, can we generate our own billing? If we can generate our own billing, does that mean we can generate our own ACH distribution files? How hmm. does that work? How does that come together in a group? How does that do us better as an organization? How does that make us more effective, more efficient, and separate us from a marketing standpoint at the same time? Sure. Sure. So, so let me ask you this then to get really specific with our listeners. What was, you know, if you kind of think back, you know, you mentioned a couple things there, you know, sending out statements and things like that. What was the very first uh, thing that you took from the acquiring bank or the processor? And you said, no, we're, we're going to do this in-house and talk about how did that affect customer experience as well as your, your bottom line profits? Sure. 
One of the first things that we brought in-house was truly the billing capability, creating our own statements. By doing that, that allowed us to move into several other areas rather quickly. Uh, well, by doing that, it allowed us to separate ourselves, as we talked about before. It allowed us to provide a statement that, A, met our customers' needs. It was easy for them to read, easy for them to go through. It also represented one statement across all of our platforms. So we didn't have merchants mm. on platform A getting one type of statements, merchants on platform sure. B different type of statements. We had one statement that was uniform across all of our platforms. This also made it much, much easier for us from a customer service standpoint. It allowed us to communicate better, more effectively and efficiently with our customers. Sure. Hmm. Okay. And then I would assume also that that meant you no longer had to schedule a cost for a monthly statement fee. Correct. Right? Absolutely. So that, you that added... Taking that in, you start taking that in on your own and you look at your providers and you say, I no longer need you to do this. And so there's no longer an ability for them to bill you for that item. So it increases your margin. Does the, uh, does the technology that underlies that on your end, I mean, is that a, is that a huge technology investment or is it just sort of tweaking what you have? Well, Patty, that was an enormous undertaking by us. Uh, yeah, I would we think. ended up building out it. You have to build out an entire system that is not only going to take in all of the transactions from all of your merchants from multiple processors, right. but it has to decide how did those transactions qualify? How do we bill for those transactions? You have to put together your billing schemas. You have mm -hmm. to put together the database that's gonna house all of that information. It took us approximately five years from start to finish to get to where we are today. Wow. And of course, we're going to... Actually, gonna, that's pretty quick when you think about it. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk later. everything you had to do. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk later as well about, because I know that you have an op the opportunity for even ISOs to gain access to the software that you've built uh, that is kind of like a processor agnostic type thing. So we're, we're definitely going to get into that as well. So anxious to hear about that a little bit too. So let me ask you this, Kevin. What are some of the other, like we talked about the statements. So give us another couple. What are two or three that you, uh, you know, that you started to take in-house after it was like the billing and stuff? What came next? Well, if you think about it, James, what happens is when you start bringing those things in and you start controlling the creation of the ACH distribution file, the creation of that file that pays the merchants for their daily transactions, you start taking in the capability to hold and release because you're in control of that money flow going out to that merchant. So what you're capable of doing at that point is now you can start managing risk inside of your own system. You're not having to manage risk in a separate system, go out and then request your processor to hold payments or set payments to the side. Mm -hmm. You're actually doing that internally. It makes you far more effective from an operational overview perspective. It makes you far more effective because not only does that make you more efficient, but it allows you to reduce your overhead, the number of people that are actually working in the system because everyone's using the same system. Hmm. Yeah. It's, so, it, and it is interesting too. I think a lot of ISOs, you know, really underestimate, like when I, when I look at a schedule A for like, say a new consulting client, um, and, you know, it has their basis points, you know, they're paying, you know, three basis points and three cents or whatever it is, right? And they just kind of take the rest of it for granted. But, you know, there's a lot of other things in there. You know, they have your PCI compliance, you'll have your statement fee, you'll have maybe three or four other kind of, you know, minor things. And it's like, 
that's 20 bucks a mid or 15 or whatever. And it's like, you got a thousand merchant accounts. You can do a lot with 15 to $20,000 in revenue. I mean, there's a lot you can do to, to justify that kind of change. Right. Absolutely. And remember, James, that's not fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a year. That's fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a month. A month, right? right. Yeah, it's a year. Yeah, it's that's a ton. That's, that's substantial you know. cash. Yeah, that's right. substantial cash. Right. And uh, there's other things that most people are not realizing they're paying for as well, or they are realizing and they don't understand that they could do it themselves. Generally, your reserves, your holds, you're accounting for that. The uh, the compliance associated with accounting for that for the financial institution that is your sponsor bank. Right. Okay. Generally we're paying someone else to do that for us. We don't mm. think of that as being a substantial piece of money that we're paying every month, but that is an additional item that we're paying for every month. Mm. Our system takes care of all that. We give the ability for the financial institution and our sponsor banks to look in in real time and see are, what are the merchant reserves at the merchant level? What is the accounting for that? What are the holds? What are the releases? All hmm. of that is built into our system so that the financial institutions can look in and have a, and have additional reassurance that everything that they see on their end going in and out from an ACH standpoint is going in and out appropriately, that they have oversight on that. Hmm. They're, with financial institutions, it's not generally concern associated with is the ISO doing things right? It is, can we prove you are doing things right? It's the oversight. It's huh. okay. So you believe this ISO is doing what they're supposed to be doing. The auditor is going to ask the bank, show me how they are. Right. Doing right. Right. Huh. That's very interesting. What about, um, what about like approval, boarding, underwriting, you know, what about that? Do, do you have any, because of the system that you've built and the control you have there, do you have any more flexibility in terms of which merchants you bring on and things like that? Or are you still at the mercy of the acquiring bank for that kind of stuff? Well, remember we're all technically at the mercy of the acquiring bank in any relationship. Sure. Right. The acquiring bank will always have the last say in every relationship you have with an acquiring bank, the contract is going to say somewhere in there that under no circumstances can you override the bank on any decision that the bank makes. Right, right, <laughs> right. Got to get that underlying base sure. established first. Sure, yeah. But with that being said, the way we have the capability, because we have everything in one system, because the bank has vision and view into that system, because they have all of the oversight capability available to them in that system, it allows us to have a much more open relationship with our acquiring bank. It allows us to go to them and say, hey, this is something that you may not have considered in the past, but let me walk you through how I'm going to provide you with the oversight to make sure that we're managing this correctly. I'm not saying it completely opens up the underwriting book, right. but what it does is it allows everyone to have a fresh new view and comfort with what's being done. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so tell me, Kevin, it's like, it's, I would think, I mean, my sense is that a lot of ISOs, you know, outsource because the, you know, these operational processes, because it allows them more time to focus on what they do best, which is sell, right? Um, so, you know, what do you think, um, can you maybe share with us how your uh, organization has grown as a result of bringing these processes back in house? Absolutely. Patty, let me 
let's kind of turn that on its head. Let me tell you how my company has not grown operationally because of this process. Okay. What, I've been able, what we've been able to do with these processes, because we're managing everything in one place, it's allowed us to keep our operational overhead at a minimum. It's allowed us to reduce the number of staff that we've had to hire in our organization. To give you an example, today we process for about 3,500 merchants. We have one person that handles customer service, underwriting, and risk. We have, excuse me, underwriting and customer service. We have one person that handles risk. We have one IT person. And then we have my wife and myself. I don't know of any other organizations that are running that lean. Right, And with the ability, (laughs) with the system that we're using today, not only are we able to run that lean, we're still only operating at probably about 35% capacity. Wow. Hmm. Now, now let me ask you this though. How did you get the 3,500 merchant accounts? Was that through like, what, what's the sales arm of this operation? James, we are completely uh, a wholesale ISO. We wholesale out to sub agents and sub ISOs that handle all the marketing. We do not do sales in house. Got it. Okay. Um, Got all right. It. Okay. Huh. The worst customer anyone could ever have is that friends and family merchant. Right. <laughs> that's going to be the one that's going to hurt you and haunt you the most. Right. Right. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. So, um, you know, one of the other things I wanted to bring up here uh, as we're kind of getting to the end of this is that um, your wife, Elena, published a great article in, uh, I believe it was in the green sheet. Um, and she was talking about something that's applicable not only for ISOs, but even for the individual agents that are listening, which was very simply, you know, you should check you know, if you, if you are outsourcing these things, you know, and you get your residual report, don't accept it at face value. Like, you know, you should check these things and see, are you really getting charged for what you should? And that really hit home with me because over the years I've been involved with some really high integrity, you know, great ISOs that have unknowingly ripped me off (laughs) thousands and thousands of dollars. And I've brought it to their attention and to their credit. They've been like, you know, oops, sorry about that. Here you go. Right. Um, but you know, I'm with you on that. Like we, I always have had a developer, somebody that, um, like I'm thinking of one right now where we still have some residual with one company from a previous relationship where every month we, we create a little bot that like actually goes in and crawls the website, pulls all the reports, pulls everything down and analyzes it for us, you know? Um, so talk about that. What's the importance of kind of the checks and balances of like looking at the stuff you're getting and making sure you kind of know what's, what's happening with your money. I can tell you, James, up until a couple of years ago, and I've worked for some very large organizations in the past, and I've run as the chief operating officer for a very large ISO. Yeah. Generally, you get your bill from your processor, especially if you are a wholesale ISO. If you are processing transactions, you're getting a bill from your processor, not necessarily truly a residual. It's a bill. Right, exactly. Right. Because you're because you're doing the billing. Right. How do you know if that bill is correct? Right. Well, you hope that they're being honest and truthful. With you. <laughs> right. I don't think they're doing things in intentional, a, you know, in a deceptive manner. Right. Large organizations make mistakes. Yeah. Small organizations make mistakes. Yes. If you don't have the checks and balances, if you don't have the ability to say, I know exactly how many transactions my pro- I did with this processor this month, and then compare that with your bill. Sure. I, it's, it's the little things. It's the nickels and dimes that make the difference between profit and loss. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, interesting story on that. And again, kind of a little off topic, not really the wholesale ISO side, but there's an individual agent that uh, I was working with maybe uh, two years ago. 
and I had actually referred him to a, a very large ISO that everybody would know. And uh, this large ISO had ended up, I won't get into too much detail, but they'd end up marking up some costs, okay? And um, I pointed this out to this agent I was working with on his residual report. Well, you know, they were duty bound to share a percentage of this markup because it wasn't, you know, his schedule A was, you know, a certain thing. So, uh, you know, ends up, he went back, they, they actually ended up going back about 18 months for him and he got about $15,000. This is an individual rep who was bringing in about 10, 12,000 a month in residual. And that was such a severe you know, difference. And it's like, it's not that it was intentional. They weren't trying to rip him off, I don't think. Um, but like, to your point, I mean, large organizations and small organizations alike, I mean, they make mistakes, right? So you just, you got to check that stuff, I feel like. We are human. That's why we try to take as much as we can in our organization and automate it. Right. Machines will always take and say one plus one equals two. A machine will do that the same way every single time. Right. Right. A human may every now and again say one plus one equals three. It's not because they intended to. Right. They have seven <laughs> other things that they're doing and they're right. trying to do this addition at the same time. Yes. Human error is rampant. Yes. Uh, that's why we try to automate as much as we can. Yeah. And one of the things that we do with all of our clients and all of our relationships is when we pay out our residuals to make sure that every one of the things we try to be is the most transparent organization as we can be. Sure. The We try to provide and do provide on a monthly basis to all of our customers. This is the transactional level cost. Right. Dues, assessments, interchange, authorization, yep. et cetera. And yep. we're able to provide that to our clients so that, you know, if they ever have any question, we can back right into it. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll tell you. And I love I love that we're talking about this because I know the the main theme of this podcast is more for the, you know, the ISO. Right. And like, you know, here's what you right. can do. But this is just so crucial for those individual agents that are listening. I cannot tell you how many of them I've talked to that literally get a spreadsheet every month from their ISO that has a list of mids on the left and it has an amount of residual on the right. And I'm like, you know, no, it, that is horrible. <laughs> if you are getting that, you need, to your point, you need transaction level data as an individual rep. You need to know. And it's like, well, my ISO would never rip me off. Well, maybe not, but your <laughs> ISO would make mistakes, right? So um, so here's what, I, before we get to our very last question, I want to talk for a minute about your technology solution. So tell us the name of it, Kevin, and then tell us about how an ISO might work with you on the software side. You know, tell us about that side of your business. I want our audience to be aware that all these things we're talking about, you actually have a technology solution that they could potentially license, right? Absolutely, James. What we do is we have a software that we call Pioneer. We call it Pioneer because it's new, it's different. It's looking at things differently. It's approaching the industry differently by doing things that traditionally haven't been done in our industry. It allows, it is a total portfolio management product from every aspect, from the aspect of oversight, from the aspect of compliance, from the aspect of bin reconciliation and day-to-day -day management of the bin to risk, risk scoring, uh, ACH funds distribution, creation, billing, statementing, creating the month in billing, sending out the month in billing. So you're doing all of these things on your own. You're doing these hmm. things which have traditionally been handed off in the past. You're able to do them yourself. It gives an ISO the capability to separate themselves from the three or four products that are out there today that they could put their name on. 
This is something different. Sure. It allows them to look at billing differently. How do you bill your merchants? Is there a scheme that you've come up with that's better than everyone else that could separate you in the marketplace? Is that something your processor is going to implement? Probably not. Right. But it's something that a custom software application like this could right. quickly and easily do for you. Hmm. It also works both at the, not only at the wholesale ISO level, but also at the acquiring bank level by giving an acquiring bank the insight into their ISO portfolios, into what's going on with their ISO portfolios so that they can see what it, what's going on as far as ratios for chargebacks for that ISO, where are the chargebacks coming from? What are the reserves we have at the merchant level for this particular ISO? Does that match what we have in our account that is supposedly set up for reserve funds? Right, right. So, so just so it's just to not only for the ISO, but it's also for acquiring banks. Love it. So and then just to clarify this, so let's let's say I'm a medium ISO. I've got you know two to five thousand merchant accounts, and I want to use the software. What you're saying is this is like a processor agnostic solution that they could actually license the software, potentially even stay with their existing you know relationship that they have, but they would be able to implement the software. Is is that generally what we're talking about? Absolutely. Okay. That's exactly what we're talking about. All right. We're talking about instead of your processor providing these services for you, you literally can go, we can implement the system and you can go to your processor and say, I need the following five files delivered to me for my merchant base on a daily basis. And oh, by the way, I don't need you to do statements anymore. I don't need you to create ACH for me anymore. I don't need you to do account reconciliation for me anymore. I don't need you to do accounting for all of my reserves anymore. Right. I can do all of that myself. And, and as we talked earlier, one line item, let's just take one line item. If you have 5,000 merchants, what's an average statement fee that you're paying to your provider? It's generally going to be between one and $3. Right. That's somewhere between five and $15,000 for that one line item that could be saved on a monthly basis. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. So, um, well, and then I would also assume, I mean, if if there's a smaller ISO that's like, you know, I mean, you're a wholesale ISO. So, I mean, I would assume also if it's a smaller ISO, they can inquire about actually processing through you to gain access to this technology. Absolutely. And then what it gives them is it gives them the capability to go out and sell something different. Right. It gives exactly. them the ability to go out, provide statements that are much easier to read that are not a first data statement or a thesis statement or a payment tech statement. They're their own statement. Got They're it. their own statement. It, it gives them the insight and capability to see all of these things that we've talked about, even at that smaller ISO level, it gives them all of the insight for that at their fingertips. It gives awesome. all of their customers that insight because they, their customer and us are all working on the same system. Yeah. We all see the same thing. When awesome. a customer calls in and says, I'm looking at my merchant portal and it says my deposit is this, can you tell me why? Customer service is looking at that literally the same screen. Right. So they can literally walk that merchant through it quickly and easily. Sure. Love it. So uh, before I get to, I definitely want to get some contact information from you for our listeners. But before that, I have one last question for you. So, you know, I love asking this to our listeners that have, or our interviewees that have been in the industry for a while. So if you could go back to when you first started this ISO, right, knowing what you know now, um, can you give our audience one tip that company that's just starting their own ISO, what would you have done differently, you know, at the beginning, if you could go back in time now, knowing what you know now? You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in life experiences. 
There's sure. some things that you cannot learn without experiencing I agree. yourself. Sure. Right. Uh, one of those is entrepreneurship. Yeah. There are going to be bumps and bruises through the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial path. Yeah. That quite honestly, you just can't learn until somebody hits you over the head with a pushback. <laughs> now, I, I would love to say I would love to take some of those experiences and go back and correct some of those mistakes I made. Right. But we would not be where we are today. We would not have gone in the direction yeah. we had gone today if we hadn't have taken some of those hits with pushback. Yeah. That's a really that's a really excellent point. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've said that in my life experience, you know, like, Hey, I had to go through that crap to get to where I am today. And what you're saying is, uh, when you're starting a business, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, it's, it's the same philosophy, right? Absolutely. It's yeah. the, you know, you learn from sitting back and understanding that, you know, the reason we're here today is because I had that experience. I could right. look back now and say, wow, I know the difference, but I wouldn't be the person I am today if I didn't have that experience. I could avoid it, but I wouldn't be the same person we, I am today. Right. And so it, I and wouldn't it, change anything, James. That's great. I, I, really I, I love your answer. And let me let me have a follow-up then. So based on that, do you think that maybe one bit of advice might be, are there people out there that are thinking, I, I'd like to start my own ISO. I think I'm ready, but they're scared of making those mistakes. You know, are you saying for those people maybe they should, maybe it's time to dive in and just say, Hey, you know, I'm going to make mistakes if I go out on my own and it's just an inevitable part of it. And maybe that fear is holding them back. You know, James, I came home from my job one day, 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. And my wife looked at me and said, if you go back to work tomorrow, you are going to kill somebody. <laughs> I love that. I went back into work the next day and I quit my job and I started secure bank guard. The, uh, you know, it's the little things like that that are, you have to take the leap at some point. Yeah. It's never the right time. It's right. never the I right time. I love that statement. That is so true. It's never the right time, but it's, but it, it's, it, you know, I just, I love that because I think, uh, I think there's so many people in this industry, especially that, you know, they, they get, they get comfortable, you know, and the thing is, this is an industry mm -hmm. where there's a lot of people that make a lot of money, you know, but for them, mm -hmm. relatively speaking, you know, I talk to agents that are making 10 or 12,000 a month. And I know if they would make a big change, they could get to 50,000 a month, but it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm making 10 or 12 or, you know, that ISO that's got a pretty good business going. And they're like, well, I don't want to upset the fruit basket, but I think your advice really, I love it because it's kind of like maybe evaluate and say, well, if you weren't worried about failure, you know, what would you do? What would you try? And, and at least think about those options. Right. right? So I love Absolutely. it. I love it. Kevin, give us some contact information. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners are going to want to learn more about you and about, uh, you know, the technology solution, et cetera. Where would you send them to learn more? Sure. They can reach me directly. Uh, my email address is kevin.smith, very, very simple, at secure, S-E-C-U-R-E, Vanguard, B-A-N-C-A-R-D.com. That's the easiest way to reach me is via email. Got it. Uh, obviously, I'm out there on LinkedIn. You can quickly and easily find me. I'm under Kevin Smith. And uh, if you put in Kevin Smith and secure bank card, you'll find me on LinkedIn. I'm able to be reached there as well. I can also be reached directly in the office at 678-261-7679. And one of the things that I always tell everyone that we do business with, especially our, our ISOs that are doing business with us, one of the things that we do well here is we're available. There's no question that could ever be asked. I may not give you the answer you want to hear, but good God, don't ever pass on asking the question. 
Always right. ask. Right. Love it. Kevin, it's been such a pleasure great, having you on. Advice. Yeah, I really appreciate all your time today and all your great insights. And uh, thanks for taking the time to do it. Hey, so everybody, we're here to talk about Valor Paytech. Of course, you can go to ccsalespro.com slash Valor. If you haven't gotten your free demo yet and you listen to this podcast and you're getting value from it, do Patty and I a personal favor. This is our sponsor for the podcast, and we want to make sure and show them that our listeners value the podcast and value their sponsorship. So please do head over to ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo there. But today specifically, Patty, we're going to talk about the marketing, right? The text marketing solutions. Yeah, like yeah. It's for, some very cool stuff, James. You know, I, I, it's the kind of stuff that, that you hear talk, people talk about, but to see it integrated with, uh, you know, with a total total solution that also supports cash discounting, yeah. it's pretty cool. I yeah. mean, there's a, you know, built-in customer feedback system where there's like these little happy faces, you know, so you... Right, they have happy and angry face and there's, I think there's one in the middle, right, or something and you pick right, one. Right, yeah, I think there's like very, ha- you know, way happy, happy, not so happy. <laughs> Upset, lousy. angry, right, yeah. right. And right. and the what what's really cool about that, and I, I noticed when we were doing the uh, the demo with them, is, you know, if you send a, you know, if you click a I'm not happy uh, face, right. you know, it gives you it gives the merchant a, a prompt like, hey, do something. Right. <laughs> right. Text the person back. Customer. Right. Find out what's going on with them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Just, just to clarify, we're talking about with these e-receipts that are coming either as a text or as an email, um, they you can have these little customer surveys on the bottom where the consumer can click whether they how is your, how would you rate your experience and that rating ends up going back to you know in the dashboard for the the uh, merchant to see and then they can respond. But then also, Pay, tell us about the text marketing because there's some pretty cool stuff there, right? Where we can actually like filter the customers by how much they purchased and things like that, right? Yeah, and by what they purchase. I mean, all the really cool segmentation that we've talked about for years right. is is right there at, at the merchant's fingertips. Right. I mean, I was I was sitting there going, Wow, I mean you can segment out customers, you can send out special orders. I mean, these are things we've talked about, but to have that again, to have it all integrated with a with a uh, with a cash discounting uh, solution. Right pretty cool. Yeah. So you can, you know, go in, right. And we can segment and say, show us all the people that spent over $500 in the last 30 days or whatever. And then we can actually send them a text marketing uh, MMS or SMS because we, again, we're collecting that data. So it's, it's really interesting. The whole model is kind of like the idea is collect phone numbers and email addresses in order to send receipts. Right. Right. And then, and then then once you've done that, then keep marketing to those people by segmenting them and sending them offers, whether it's based on what they've, their past purchase history or whatever. Right. Right. Based on their purchase history, based on how they rated service, um, you know, or, or, or even like segment out, like you were saying, you know, people, one of the things I was thinking about is, uh, if I was a pizza shop, right. Right. And, uh, you know, James Shepard comes in every Wednesday and buys a pizza, but he hasn't been here the last two Wednesdays. Right. Right. You know, and we know that, you know, and you can tell that. And so it's like, Hey James, 10% Here's off your next pizza. Offer. Right. <laughs> right. Know? Love it. Love it. Yeah. Well, if this sounds like something that's interesting to you and you're a listener of ours, please go to ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash Valor. Schedule your free demo and just check it out. Learn a little bit more about the solution. See if it's a fit for you. It's processor agnostic. And as Patty's mentioned, it's got cash discounting and surcharging built in. So everybody, thank you so much. Head over there and check out our sponsor. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com the leader in merchant sales training and technology. 
If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, today I really wanted to talk about um, selling point-of-sale solutions, selling value rather than the transactional sale. It's it's one of the most common questions I get as reps and ISOs are trying to make the transition from selling on transaction uh, and savings and rate to selling mm-hmm. on value, selling point-of-sale solutions. And right. today I just have one really simple tip. It's one that I've I've mentioned before in different contexts, but I was talking to my my sales guy like in-house here that sells our ISO amp solution and, and things like that. And mm-hmm. we were just talking about this concept and, and I wanted to bring it up, which is this idea that people are generally going to buy one feature that is going to solve one problem. Okay. So the idea here is you might be offering a, a technology solution, you know, whether it's a Clover or Zusa or Point or you know Mint or whatever it is, you have your point of sale solution and when you're presenting that to a merchant, one of the biggest mistakes that, that you can make, and it's it's something that I think is really rampant in our industry, is that a lot of salespeople get confused when they're used to selling on price because it's like there's this one thing they're focused on. It's like savings, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I can right. save you money. That's what they're really focused on. And they might talk about a few other things, but their pitch is geared around savings. Well, what they need to do is they need to actually have that same focus when they're selling on value. It's just the reason it's more challenging is when you're selling on savings, you go in knowing what you're going to talk about. I'm going to talk about savings. When you want to sell a POS solution or a gateway solution or something like that, you first have to find out what that pain point is for the merchant. So that's the discovery part. And, And it's really not that hard. It really isn't. You know, just have a conversation. Stop, you know, don't try to sell them right off the bat. Have a conversation first and say, you know, tell me about your payment processing solution you have now. Is there anything about it that you wish was better? And you could even make some suggestions of some things, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, do you currently do time card tracking automated or, you know, within your system? Or do you track inventory? Or do you have your menu in the system so you can track what people are ordering? You know, Think about the core features of your system, and you're going to get better and better at identifying what those those pain points are for individual verticals. But once you identify that pain point, then you focus on that. You don't right. do a big demo and show them, oh my goodness, look at everything the system can do. Then they say, well, that seems complicated. I'm going to have to really think about it. Instead, right, right. you just show them the thing that they're interested in. You have that same laser focus, just like when you're selling savings. You say, yeah, you certainly talk about the credit card terminal. You certainly talk about the you know statement and the batch reporting and the tip adjust, but you're selling on savings, right? In the right. same way, when you're selling a point of sale system, identify the pain point, sell on that. What's the one feature or two features that are going to solve that pain point specifically? Focus on that all of your attention there, you're still, of course, going to mention the fact that it does manage inventory or that it does time tracking or that it does other right. things, but you're, you're, what you're selling on is that one pain point and your solution to it. If you can do that, um, you can really make that transition from transactional sales professional to a more value-based uh, technology-type salesperson. That's great advice, James. Thank you. Thanks, Patty. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. 
For nearly 40 years, the Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading the Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So, you know, James, I've been talking quite a bit about contactless uh, payment trends these past few weeks, uh, but most of it has revolved around contactless cards. This week, I'd like to uh, hone in on phone-based contactless with an interesting news item out of Visa. Okay. As we've discussed often on the podcast, of course, contactless payments are charting explosive growth, you know, with consumers and merchants as the COVID-19 raises concerns about personal safety and not wanting to touch things. Right, right. Um, and also that as more people use it, uh, they really like it and use it more. I mean, I'm, right. I, I find that myself. Uh, I think I told you last week, I have only one credit card that's contactless and that's the only one I'm using these days. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So Visa says it's seen 40% year over year growth in contactless payments. With 40, most of that growth started beginning in the second, yeah, and most of that wow. was beginning in the second quarter. So forty percent year over year. Good night. That's huge. That's huge. I mean, I've never seen those kind of numbers in all my years in this business. Hmm. Uh, and here's another interesting thing: Visa did a survey of globally of uh, consumers, found that nearly half, forty-eight percent, would stop shopping at stores that only offered high contact card acceptance, like swiping or dipping. Hmm. I thought that was a really telling statistic. Yeah, it is. Uh, wow. You know, so, I mean, it's going to, it's only going to grow more. And, uh, but, you know, long before COVID uh, hit, Visa had been piloting a mobile app called Visa Tap to Phone for small and okay. micro merchants. Okay. Right. It, and what it basically does is transform any current generation Android smartphone or tablet into a contactless software-based POS device. Hmm. You know, no additional hardware. Um, now, tap to phone leverages NFC technology, which is a standard feature on about 2.5 billion smartphones in use today, or about 20% of the world's population according to the NFC forum, which keeps tabs on stuff like that. Hmm. Wow. So that's a huge potential universe. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, so last month, Visa said it's, uh, it's begun rolling out the, uh, the app to 15 countries. Okay. Uh, the U S is still in queue. Uh, but Visa says tap to phone will be here soon as part of what it describes as a global push to replace traditional card readers with contactless options. Now, help me understand that. I'm a little confused about this one. So, sure. so if, if I'm an ISO, right, mm -hmm. like how does this affect me? Are you, is this a, a competitor to me? Is this a new technology solution I'm going to offer my merchants? What, yeah, what is it's going to be a new technology solution. In fact, that was what I was just going to go just oh, okay. explain next is okay. that it also has a uh, program called Visa Ready for Tap to Phone. Okay. Uh, to fast track solution providers that want to integrate with the solution. Um, so it's they, so. Wait a minute. It's what? What is it? I'm still confused. It's a. It's something a consumer has on their phone, or no, it's something it's a merchant something has. The merchant on their phone. has on their phone. And then that would somehow tie into the mid that from the. Yes. Okay, so yes. it'd be like an. It would be like a. 
it would be like an extra terminal and it would accept Visa and other car types or just Visa? Um, you know, they, I, I, that was something I'm unclear on, but I would imagine okay. that if it's going to accept Visa, it's going to accept others. Okay. Because what they're trying to do here is they're trying to compete with the likes of Square or PayPal or uh, what are some of those other captains? Well, yeah, but if, they're trying to, but if they're competing with them, then they would be competing with the ISOs as well. Like, that's what I'm, that's what I'm a little bit confused I, I, about. I, see, this is what I think. I think they're trying to position themselves to help the ISOs compete with those companies. I hope that's so. That's how I understand it. Yeah, I hope so, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be, so. it would be, you know, it would be a fool's errand for, for Visa to try to compete with the ISOs. Well, I guess they actually, sense. actually, legally, I guess they can't, right, because of the... Right. Um, the monopoly, uh, uh, you know, things and, and antitrust uh, and antitrust laws and stuff. Yeah. Right. Okay. I see. All right. So well, that makes me feel a little better. I was a little confused for a minute there. So, so, yeah, basically, so basically what they're trying to do is make this easier, you know, like you're an ISO and you want to, uh, you know, go to these small merchants and try to, you know, give them an extra terminal for, let's say, particularly today, you got like uh, bakeries and, uh, and those kinds of businesses that are now like, going to flea markets or, or, mm-hmm. or farmer's markets, right? Yeah, sure. So you have a terminal in your shop, but what are you going to do when you go to the farmer's market? Sure. So basically this is kind of replacing wireless terminals. And it's yeah. also, it sounds, correct me if I'm wrong here, it sounds like you're saying it's going to replace the swipers, the dongles as well, right? This is just, right. it's just an app on your phone that allows tap to pay. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Look, and, I, and I think that that's the really interesting thing is that, not only will it replace that, but it, like it, it's 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 going to be a pretty pretty speedy process. Like all you have to do is download the app. Right, right. But then, but then you know, yeah, you just have to download the app. But then again, something has to tie that back to the ISOs mid. Right, with right. their bin and, and that's stuff. What so the, yeah, and and apparently, according to to Visa, that whole process of tying it back to the mid to the processor mm-hmm. and so forth. Yeah, is. Is, can be a really long, drawn-out process, mm-hmm. you know, taking weeks maybe. Um, Visa says that it's put in putting in place this fast-track program okay. that allow you to do that like in hours. Hmm, interesting. So I just, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how that develops. Maybe we'll do a follow-up, you know, maybe in a few well, months because, we, yeah, like, you know. My, yeah, I kind of wanted to throw that out Yeah, it's interesting. It's, a, it's an interesting development. It's an interesting development. It's not here in the U.S. I mean, the, mar- right. the 15 markets they've rolled it out to are in Europe, in Asia, and South America. Make, which makes sense. It's more of a, I would think, Central America, th- uh, you know, Asia. It's probably more for countries where maybe terminals aren't as readily available. Exactly. There's a lot more smaller merchants. Where they're, they're just, it sounds to me like probably this was designed for those countries to get volume up. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So that's and, interesting. And, Whereas, and, and, in, you know, that's but, interesting. But it's interesting because, like, when these things, in my experience, when these things uh, take hold someplace else, like Europe or Latin America, it's only a matter of time before they come up to the U.S. Of course. Right. You know? Yeah, for and, sure. I think the purpose I, in the U.S. would just be a little different. It's not not maybe as much about getting the volume up, which I think it would impact that. But well, I, I think it would. Sure. It's more but like you said, it's, also, it's competing with Square and trying to trying to create, you know, a little bit of extra space there. Yeah, and a little bit of more flexibility. Like I was thinking about this when I was when I was researching this. One of the things I thought is, okay, when I take um, when I take um, content, when I take uh, do takeout, right? Right. 
and they come to the, you know, they come to the door. Right. And sometimes they want to see the card, even though I gave them the card over the over the phone. Well, it would strike me if they had this type of app, right? Right. Um, you know, they could do a contactless. It no longer becomes a key entered transaction. Exactly. Saving them on interchange cost. Exactly. Hmm. Uh, and that, yeah. you know, that, especially now with, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm, well, I'm sure because you have, you have a family. <laughs> Takeout is like, you know, I mean, that's the what only I thing live on. Yeah. A lot of restaurants <laughs> are doing, right? Right. Yeah, sure. So, so, yeah, yeah, I love it. So, wow, well, very interesting, Patty. I'm sure we'll hear more developments as things kind of progress and once once it comes to the U.S., but uh, thanks for filling us in. It's a very interesting development for sure. Yeah, I just think it's a really interesting development worth worth just keeping, you know, keeping tabs on, yeah, you know, I agree. the, the many-way contactless is, is coming to fruition. Cool. Thanks, Patty. This episode of the Merchant Sales Podcast was brought to you by Valor Paytech, the technology company that is revolutionizing cash discounting and surcharging with innovative features like dual mid support, waive the fee options, and even adding non-cash adjustment charges to tips. Now, all of this is made possible by a variety of technology devices and solutions such as gateways, tabletop point of sale devices, and features like SMS text messaging and e-invoicing, all with cash discounting in mind. Valor Pay Tech, bold ideas, smart execution. Make sure you head over to ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo today and watch videos and learn more about this amazing technology solution. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.